This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Three times this year, a cruise ship has detached from the dock. Like the first time you're like, man, that's a problem. I don't want to be a part of that. The second time you're like, somebody really has to figure this out. The third time you're like, are they playing games with us now? Like they want this to be a fear that you're running across the cruise ship trying to get back. And then all of a sudden the, you know, the, the bridge from the dock to the cruise ship just falls into the water. Like unlock a new fear of my life. They want you to, you know, have this. I don't know, three times in one year, I feel like somebody's got to figure this thing out. That's going to be millions and, I don't know, maybe billions. I don't know how much money this is. Millions of dollars of figuring, fixing these things. Recently, a boat drifted into another cruise ship. Just, just went into it. You're like, how do you, how do you let that happen? Because that's millions of dollars, right? Um, are you all with me on this? This cruise ship problem, we need to figure this thing out. Or we just throw millions of dollars at it and we're good? I'm kidding. Your life is more important. Think about this. Your life is more important. Okay, so if a cruise ship can drift away because of a squall, which is what pigs do, but apparently in the north it's big wind, a squall can push a cruise ship off of a dock and move it and little tugboats have to pull it back. What about your life? How much more impactful and big and significant is the breath that you breathe and the heart that throbs inside of you? Like your life is so valuable and yet oftentimes we just drift. We can easily just drift away from what God has for us, for the plan that God has for us. All of a sudden we wind up somewhere we never thought we would be. And, and you look back on life and you go, how did I even get here? I don't know how I got here. What, what decision even got me to this point? And it was little decisions over time that get you to one place. You look back, you don't know how you got there, but you're there. You know, I don't understand how these, how three different ships in one year have broke off of this dock. Maybe we need to get stronger uh, uh, ropes and, and chains and um, whatever it is, if they can anchor there or whatever it needs to be strengthened. But here's what I do know. In your life, you've got to strengthen your life to the point where you don't drift away from what your target is, that journey that you have that God has for you. Last week, we called this faith span, the integrity, the love, and the values that God has instilled into your heart long-term over the long journey of life, maintaining what God has for you, that faith span in your life, that you don't drift away from that, but you remain strong. Now, here's the thing. We've got a map, uh, if you will. We've got scripture, but oftentimes we read scripture for the wrong purposes, right? We can read scripture for many different reasons. Some, some will read it for knowledge. Some will read it for class. You know, like, hey, I got class coming up. I better make sure I read my, the Bible for it. You know, you get it on Saturday night and you like basically chug it down. You're like, I got to read through this really quick for class. Some people read it just so they can seem smarter, so they can talk in theological groups. I've seen this throughout my 12 years in the academic world. Now being a professor, I see this all the time when people get in an environment and they're just like, hey, let's just talk about scripture. And I'm like, okay, Scripture's pointing you to someone. Scripture's pointing you to something, to Jesus, and to live different. When we read Scripture, we are not just reading words on a page. We're getting to know our Father. We're getting to know Him and what He wants us to do. 
Not only is this like a map for a cruise ship, uh, the right directions to go on, but it's knowing intimately our Father and knowing intimately His Son Jesus who came to live with us and among us to embody the gospel fully in Himself, as John 1 says. So let us be not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word, to know Jesus and imitate what He does when we read His Word. At WBC, the value, the way we communicate this through value is transformation over information. We're not just learning things here, being transformed by what we learn. To know him more intimately and to know how to imitate him better. We're being transformed by his word. So I want to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 with you. And as we do, just remember this idea of we're not drifting, we're correcting course, coming back to what Jesus has for us. Chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginnings when it was spoken by, of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Because what we have heard should stabilize our pursuit of Jesus. I think about this in verse 1 where it says, uh, for this reason. Now this is clearly going back to chapter 1, which discusses how Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the Mosaic law. He's greater than King David. Jesus is greater. For this reason, because Jesus is greater, for this reason, let us remember what we heard so that we don't drift away. Because he's greater, don't forget what he said and drift away. I think about that as kind of like the rudder of life, the anchor of life. You think, you know, God's word is like a rudder. It keeps us on course. It takes us to where we want to go. It's like an anchor that doesn't let you drift away. It stabilizes you where you are. God's word is the foundation. It's that stability that we can step our feet into concrete and stand firm and not be wavered. It's that we won't be tossed away around by the waves of the sea and the winds of the sea, as Ephesians 4 says. God's word stabilizes us on our journey towards what he has for us because it reminds us, where should we go? What should we do? Which way should we go? It's the rudder. It's the anchor. It's our strength. And right hearing is like that rudder used to steer us in the right direction. But when we hear wrong, because we are clouded out by things of this world, we listen to things in this world like, oh, no, this is good. Hey, here's a good tip. Maybe you can take this from the world. Rather than without hearing it through the lens of Christ, we hear the things of this world not hearing Christ, we apply things to our lives, and all of a sudden we get somewhere and we go, how did I get here? I thought I was listening to Jesus, but really you've just been hearing the world. Listen, to, I th- it, you know, recently I honestly was taken completely off guard by something in the news. Somebody came up to me and they're like, did you hear about this? And it was like a couple days after, and I was like, I didn't hear. I'm, I'm like, I was, I kind of felt bad. I feel like as a pastor, I have some responsibility to understand what's going on worldwide. But at the same time, what I try to do in my life is stay in, in uh, staying knowing what God is doing in my sphere of influence. You know, through the people around me, the culture around me, the city around me, just trying to understand what's going on and help and change and transform what I can around me and pray for what I can, but really affect change with those whom I can around me. And so sometimes I'm taken off guard. But here's the thing. We got to be careful both ways. We, we, we really have to be careful that we don't allow the world to speak in too much. But also we got to hear the world through the lens of Christ. 
We've got to be careful that we balance both those things. Because what I hear is sometimes people walking around like talking, and it sounds like they're talking like the world. I'm like, if you're starting to sound more like the world, maybe you're being steered in the wrong direction. You're starting to drift away a little bit. And as we drift, we get a little further and a little further and a little further, and then all of a sudden you sound just like the world or you sound just like a Pharisee. Speaking truth without grace or speaking grace without truth, we are just uh, drifted into a place that we never thought we'd be. So right hearing is like a rudder used to steer in the right direction. When we, in verse 1, pay attention all the more to what we have heard, we listen to God, listen to what he has for us, read his word so that we won't drift away. Now this verse 2 is like, come on guys, don't forget. That's what the author of Hebrews is just kind of like, throw this in there, like, hey, don't forget where you were. Verse 2, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. So pause there. What that means is this. If you do evil, you receive justice for it. Everyone wants justice. Everyone should want justice. We want a condemnation for what is wicked. We want good for what is good. We want repayment of good for good and repayment of evil for evil. That's what we want. We long for that because we don't like seeing people hurt. And so we try to stop it with, right, things in place to stop it. And so it's a reminder of, look, you know what happens when you do evil. If you sin, this is going to happen. If you hurt somebody, this is going to happen. This is the repayment for what you do. Another way to say this to Jesus, you reap what you sow. You're gonna, if you reap all these things, or sorry, if you sow all these things, it's naturally going to be reaped that way. I don't plant a blueberry bush and then all of a sudden get a strawberry plant. I don't plant, you don't plant corn in these beautiful fields in Carroll County and then all of a sudden reap rose bushes. You reap what you sow. And in life, when we hear things and we apply them in our lives, we should expect to receive what we have sowed in our life. And so right hearing is like a rudder, but fear is like a radar. When you recognize that the evil and the wickedness you've done in your life, that you should look at that and go, okay, I know what that leads to. I know that the hell I used to experience on earth will lead me to hell for eternity. Uh, as the great theologians would say, it's like, you're going to get what you want on earth. You want goodness on earth, you're going to find heaven through Jesus Christ. You want wickedness on earth, you're going to find your hell for eternity and wallow around in the sins that you wanted and the evil and the wickedness that you decided for. Go and choose what you want today. My challenge to you today is not to drift away from what Jesus has for you, but drift back towards him, to change course back towards him so that you don't, have, you don't find hell for eternity and you don't have, find hell for today. Fear is like a radar. Look at verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now remember, the angels were those, uh, uh, those beings that Jesus created that brought a message to the people that caused fear because when they saw them, they knew that they were receiving a message from God that was directly from him and they didn't understand and they often didn't understand what they were seeing because it was like the wow factor of it. They had fear in their lives. It often dropped them to their, to their knees and as we talked about last week, angels just evoked fear because they didn't understand what angels were doing and who they were. If angels evoked fear of bringing God's message to the people, how much so should Jesus' truth? And it's not an unhealthy fear, it's that good fear. How much should Jesus' fear, uh, uh, Jesus' message of uh, the truth of salvation, but also the truth of, of eternal, eternally separated from God in hell, how much should that bring about in us like a healthy fear? I'll give you an example of it. Um, uh, yesterday I was playing uh, coaching soccer for my daughter and it was pouring rain in the cold. Y'all, freezing cold. You know how kids are, pouring rain, freezing cold. Uh, I'm walking through the parking lot, and I have a huge tent on my shoulder. Uh, you know, one of those big pop-out tents. I'm carrying a tent on here, and then I've got a wagon that I'm 
pulling. And it's got the, the um, chairs and all Brex toys and their bags and cleats and all that stuff in it, right? So you're just like walking down, tugging these things along. And wh what do I also have? Two children with me. Rachel's got Hattie. I got Breck and Evie. They're with me. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, where are they? <laughs> I don't see my children in the parking lot. So I look behind. And all of a sudden, there's a car coming this way. And I see Breck dart out this way. Now, in that moment, I had a healthy fear. I know that if that fear hits my son, it's not going to be good, right? But also, my son has a healthy fear. He knows that he has dad, his dad has a certain voice that, if spoken loud enough, will stop him in his tracks. So I chose to use that particular voice in that moment. I chose, it sounded like this, Brecken. I'm kidding. It was uh, much more forceful and uh, stopped him in his tracks because he knows when he hears that voice, he needs to stop. So my son stopped, literally, where he was. He doesn't hear that voice hardly ever, excepting when something serious is going on. That's key. He stops in his tracks. He looks at me, never sees the car. The car stops. And I looked at my son, and this is what I said. Stay close to me. Oftentimes when we're drifting away from Jesus, we get in a place where we find ourselves in fear of what we're doing. Guilt, shame. We know that what we're doing is wrong, but we're far from Jesus in a place where we're about to experience hell on earth. And it's like, man, Matt, I have, I've ruined these relationships. My marriage is suffering. My kids are suffering. Uh, my job is suffering. Everything around me looks like I'm just getting the penalty for all of these different things. And you're like, I don't understand what's going on. And I'm like, stay close to Jesus. Stop running away. Stop drifting. Stop lift, listening to this world and listen to his word. You know what's going on in your life. Stop. Change course. Fear is like a radar. When it's used right, when you understand verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Man, your salvation is unbelievable. Like it's, it's to the point where people didn't even understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. They wouldn't believe it. But to us, it's majestic. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And so when you look at it, you're like basking in the grace of God. But look back and don't, don't look at back at your, the hell on earth you experienced. Don't look back at your sin and your decisions and go, okay, I just forgot about those things. They're done. There was a, uh, there's a cruise liner that uh, in the middle of the ocean, the engines cut out. I, my goal today is just that you never go on a cruise ever again. <laughs> no. Uh, in the middle of the ocean, engines cut out. You lose electricity, you lose plumbing, and naturally human beings do what we do best. We hear some truth and we distort it. They're like, you got two weeks of food on this boat, everybody's going to be fine. And everybody's like, we've got two hours, we're all going to die. You know, that's just naturally what human beings do. It's how we work, okay? So, you know, the cruise guy comes on, he's like, hey, we've got two weeks of food. We are getting helicopters here. We're going to rescue everybody. Y'all, there is 1,800 people on that boat. After three hours, they had 87 people on the boat. That ain't going to work. That's going to take them 20 hours. They're going to figure it out. After 20 hours, they're going to get everybody off this boat. All right, look, when, that per when those people got off that boat, 87 people, and they found good plumbing for the first time, because you can imagine what plumbing is like on a cruise ship when it doesn't work. I don't want to think about it, but I'm just saying electricity that doesn't work in a dark, hot room. 
that is the size of your average small bathroom, you get off that thing and you get on the ground and you take that first step. See, nobody's going on a cruise. You take that first step on a free land, safe land, you don't forget your experience you just had. Nobody gets back and is like, oh, those helicopters, they, they're fine. Take me back to the boat. I want that small cramped up room that's sweaty and stinky. Take me back. Nobody does that, right? They have a healthy fear. I don't want to go back to that thing and sink. I don't want to, go, I don't want to die there. You have a healthy fear. In, in life, we have a healthy fear. I don't want to turn back to that sin. I don't want to go back to my former ways because I understand the salvation that I've received. I don't want to neglect such a great salvation. Instead, look at the end of verse 3. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord because I'm hearing it, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him because I've seen it. I've heard it. I've seen it. I believe it. I'm not going to return to that old junk in my life again. I'm going to move forward. And the third thing I have for you is this from this passage. Majesty is like seeing the beauty in the right direction. It's you seeing that picture. It's like, you know, on a plane, on a cruise, on a hike, on a run. You see in front of you where you're headed. That final destination of where you are going. And you're like, man, that's, that's where I'm going. Maybe the first time you saw it was on a postcard. Maybe the first time you saw it was on a website. And you're like, that's where I'm going. I want to get there. Your whole life you spent the time, like you're saving money. You're going on the journey. And you're like, that's where I'm going. And then all of a sudden you see somewhere else. And you're like, is that where we're going? And your life just starts drifting. You've made one decision. And, you know, maybe you're a teenager, a young adult. And it's like, you're young in your life. You're making these decisions. Like, I don't... Am I going this way or am I going that way? Maybe you're older and, and you've chosen your whole life to just, you're like, I'm going there. And all of a sudden you're like, you're like, I'm going right there. And you just start, keep going this way. And you're like, no, no, I'm going that way. And all of a sudden you end up in a place you never thought you would be because what happened was you started to drift. But majesty, the majesty of God and seeing it in God's people and hearing it through his word and then seeing it in his signs, miracles, wonders, and distribution of gifts is like, that's where I want to go. There's a, uh, I, I, like I said, I coach soccer. And um, at the practice on Thursday, uh, one of our teenagers was there, uh, Natalie. We call her Coach Natalie. She's a teenager, and we're just kind of raising her up, letting her be a leader and figure out how to coach. Phenomenal soccer player. She looks at our, uh, our athletes on Thursday, and she goes, okay, you throw, this is how you throw it in. You're going to drag your foot, right? And you got to make sure it goes over your head. All right, that's how we're throwing it in from the sidelines. That's where we are, all right, y'all? Second and third grade, let's go. And so she's teaching them, and she goes, now look, wherever you're looking and wherever your leg's going and wherever your arms are moving is where the ball's going. If you take a step this way, the ball's going to end up going that way. So make sure you take a step towards where you're throwing. Likewise, in our life, we've got to aim everything in the same direction of where we are headed, where God has for us. And it comes when, we're, when we do this well, when we see all God's ma uh, majesty around us. Look at verse 4. It says, at the same time, so just as we've heard these things from people and in his word, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distribution of gifts. So we see four things here. Signs are given to us for us to contemplate the goodness and glory of God. Uh, wonders are given to us so that we can be amazed by the goodness and glory of God. Miracles are given so that we can see the power of God's goodness and glory. And finally, the distribution of God's gifts are given to people so that they can affirm God's goodness and glory. 
And what, ha- what that looks like is this. All of a sudden, Paul and Jesus come preaching a message, but the way that they authenticate that message is by the signs and wonders and miracles that God has given for them to perform. Jesus does this throughout his ministry and then ultimately culminates in, his, in the cross and the resurrection because when the resurrection takes place and Jesus comes up out of the grave and raises into heaven for eternity, it's like a stamp. It's like the end moment. It's an exclamation point on his life to say, I told you what I told you. I lived it out. I did what I said I was going to do. Tetelestai, it is finished. In Jesus, the final word has been spoken and achieved. But then Paul comes and preaches the same message as Jesus, living it out with his life. And now you come and you preach the same message as Jesus and you live it out with your life. And every day you show people the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the gifts of God that they might see that what we preach is what we live That who we are is what we do. And as they do, they see the majesty of God working in your life and working in this world that we might run towards it, run after it, and be a part of it. Because when you see the majesty of God, the signs, miracles, and wonders of God, when you see those things and you run towards them, you're seeing a little bit of heaven on earth. And you're going, man, I want that. I choose heaven over hell every day. I choose heaven over this world every day. I want to be a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this world. I want to be like Christ and not like this world. And all of a sudden you're starting to choose. Like, I'm not going to drift. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to steer back towards what God has for me. You see, Hebrews wants us to steer in the right direction rather than, than drift. And I always, man, every time I use any analogy related to these things, I always want to make sure we all understand this. Look, the, the, the person driving the boat, steering the ship, and the motor is not us. Jesus is driving, the motor's spirit, the spirit's always working in us. Look at the end of verse 4. What does it say? And distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit. The strength inside of us, the power inside of us, the motivation inside of us, everything inside of us that longs for us to go towards where God has us for the faith span of our life, integrity and love throughout life. All of it is the Holy Spirit working inside of us, working with us to bring about what God has for us. So Hebrews wants you to steer in the right direction, and the Holy Spirit is moving you in that direction. You know, a rudder can't move you, and an anchor can't move you. So the Holy Spirit is given to us to move us, to shake us up a little bit when we start to do stupid stuff, to steer us back to the course that we need to be, to to bring God's Word to life, that we might be able to read it fresh and read it in the way we should have read it for the first time in our life. We're able to read it and to understand and believe it and apply it into our lives for the first time in our lives. The Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to do exactly what God has for you. As Coaster writes, he says... Warnings are not designed to rob people of hope, but to steer them away from danger in order to preserve them so that they might persevere and inherit what has been promised. This warnings and this fear, this healthy God-given warning is not meant to cause in you, well, Matt, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if God's going to be there for me. I don't know if God's going to raise me up. I don't know if his, I'm his child. It's not all about evoking doubt. Rather, God's warnings and fears are designed to steer you away from danger, just like I said to my son, stay close. Steer away from danger and stay close to your king.
The way this often happens, though, is we drift towards the right or left. Now, let me be clear, I'm not talking politically, so again, shut out the noise of the world for a moment and just listen into a spiritual discussion. Oftentimes what we do is we equate legalism to what's called the right in spiritual life, and we equate what's called licentiousness to the left, or liberalism in spirituality. What that means is this, and on the far right side, what you have is people who want you to do exactly this or that and put rules and regulations around your life and say, if you don't do this, you're not a believer. If you don't act in this particular way, and if you don't think in this particular way, and if you don't go to this Sunday school class or that life group, or if you don't go to this service, or if you don't listen to this kind of music or that kind of music, if you raise your hand or not raise your hand, if you don't kneel before the Lord or stand before the Lord, all these rules and regulations, if you don't eat this or eat that, and all these things, they're placed on you, and they say, if you don't believe this, and you're not a believer. And on the other, complete opposite side, what you have is people who would say, look, you do what you want to do, and the Bible can help be some sort of guide in your life, but you do what feels good to you. You do what you feel in your mind, and your heart. Just go with what your heart says. Go with what your mind feels. Flow with your emotions, right? So that's the opposite side of it. You got the right and you got the left. And oftentimes what we do spiritually is we drift from the right into the left. Let me, let me show you really clearly how this happens. I hear this every single week. I'll hear somebody say, man, the church is wicked and evil because they exclude people who identify as LGBTQ. Or you'll hear on the flip, completely opposite side, somebody goes, man, the church is wicked and evil because they include people who identify with LGBTQ. Man, the church is jacked up. They're messed up. They exclude. Or the church is jacked up. They messed up because they include. You hear this all the time, and I'm like, we're drifting. We're drifting from the, to the right or we're drifting to the left to put down truth and without grace and to put down grace without truth. And people are drifting to both sides. And, and all of a sudden you get to the point where you go, okay, everybody's drifting one way or another. And it sounds like Paul. I'm like, okay, Paul's speaking to the Corinthians because they fell into sexual sin. And he's like, stop doing that and change your ways and change your life. And he's speaking to the Corinthians because they drifted left. Rather than following what God had for them, they start to drift left and they go, okay, what, what pleases me? What feels good to me? That's what I'm going to do. But then you have Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees like, man, you put down way too much weight on my people. Like you're managing how many steps they can take and what they can eat on their Sabbaths. And you're managing all these things in ways that scripture doesn't say you should manage them. And you're just putting legalistic rules on our people rather than turning them to Christ, your Savior. You've drifted right. Here's the crazy thing about all this. Caiaphas and Annas were, Annas were high priests. Those guys knew the law, implemented the law, called people to live by the law, and they completely missed Jesus. When we talk about hearing the word, man, what do you hear the word for? Do you hear it to know Jesus and to imitate him? Or do you hear it so you can be smarter and put rules down on people? Because Caiaphas and Annas proved that to be true. They proved that they were just putting rules upon people when they missed Jesus and said, crucify him. 
Because when you drift right, you crucify Jesus. And then who else crucified Jesus? You drift left, and all of a sudden you get to the governors, and they're Greco-Roman slipping into that, hey, I'll do what I want and what feels good to me and govern people in that way. And who, what did they do? They crucified Jesus. Because when you drift right or drift left, you put Jesus on the cross because nobody likes Jesus except for those who follow after him in his word, identifying him and going, I want to be like him, and I want to know him. I'm not going to listen to the world of the right. I'm not going to listen to the world of the left. I'm going to listen to my King Jesus. See, I don't care if you drift towards hyper-religious murderer of Jesus or hyper-pagan murderer of Jesus. They're both drifting from Jesus, and they both put him on the cross. So if you want to follow Jesus, here's the thing. You're going to be hated by the majority. Your ethics are going to be saturated by grace. Your zeal is going to look excessive to people. They're going to be like, why are you so crazy? Why do you do what you do? Why do you give up your time, your talents, your treasure? Why do you do all these things for the kingdom of God? Why do you believe in this and, and it radically changes your life? Why do you treat your wife like this or your husband like this? Why do you treat your kids like this? Why are you so kind when they do this thing? Why do you treat your coworkers in this way? Why do you love me despite what I've done? Why, why, why? Because Jesus has changed my life. And I know you're not going to like me, but I'm going to love you because I don't look like the world. And I don't look like the hyper-religious, but I want to look like Jesus. May that be your beckoning call. May that be the desire of your heart. You see, I think it's easy to tell if you're drifting from Jesus. It's when you start looking more like the world or looking more like a Pharisee. It's when you've drifted. You start looking like it, you start talking like it, either the world or a Pharisee, and you've just drifted from Jesus. And remember, everybody hates everybody on the opposite side. So what I'm challenging you to do is to be rejected by the world, to be rejected by the hyper-religious, and to come follow me to a Jesus who radically loves you and gave his life for you. Change course. As the band comes, I'm going to give you some gospel responses. First is this. Let God's word transform your life. Man, it was, it was crazy, y'all. First uh, 9.30 service, like, we hop up there. Um, we had some people drop out of the band, so I plugged in for drums, and I, I pop in there into the drum set, and I put on some headphones. And here's what should happen. You put the headphones on, you turn on the button, and you have all the sound. I can hear Casey. I can hear the keyboard. I can hear everything playing perfectly in my ears. I mean, it's just crazy how technology works. And so I can play with the band, but if you get in that drum cage right now and you close these doors off, you can't hear anything. So I'm in there, headphones on, like I've already told you a little bit about. I turn it on, nothing. And I'm like, you can't hear anything, guys. I'm like, this is not going to be good. So I look over at my brother over here, and his ears are cut out. So here's the only thing I can do. When Casey plays is when I drum. All I could do was watch her hand, just going like this. I was like, okay, that's the beat. Here we go. Sounded awful. I don't know, I don't know what happened, but I was not on her. I was not on the beat. Okay. Train wreck of a story, but here's the truth, y'all. If we can't hear Jesus, it's hard to do what he's called us to do. John 10 tells us this. He knows our voice, and we know his voice. Listen to him. Know his voice. Know him. Follow him.
It's hard to know them if you're not listening. Second thing I have for you is let warnings and fear motivate steadfastness, knowing what is motivating you to do what God has called you to do. Let that God's majesty strengthen your journey on the journey. You seeing what God is doing and going, I want to be a part of that. I want that. I want to journey towards heaven. So as we continue in worship, man, I just, I just want to give you one. I feel like the Holy Spirit's just challenging me. I want to give you this one application that I've just been wrestling with internally. I hear this all the time, and I think the Holy Spirit's just leading me into this, but I hear this all the time. People say, y'all know, y'all probably know what I'm about to say. You don't look like a pastor. Now, look, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't, I don't have any sympathy for me. Don't come tell me anything, okay? I don't care how about I dress. I don't care anything about that. Here's what, here's what I want to challenge you with. Seriously, for your own life. When I hear people say that, I want to go, you don't look like a pastor. What does a pastor look like? Let me reverse that to you guys. You don't look like a Christian. What does a Christian look like? You're drifting off course. You're going away from what God has for you. That doesn't look like what a Christian looks like. I get that. So come back. Let me tell you something, though. A man dressed up in a tie, standing up on a pulpit, is not a pastor. That's not a pastor. That's a guy dressed in a tie with a suit on, standing by a pulpit with people listening to him. If I don't live my life according to God's word, inspiring young people to follow after him, leading older people into wisdom and truth, following Christ and leading you to do the same, and if I don't preach his word with integrity and truth and preaching his word, not my word, that would mean I'm not a pastor. I look like a pastor when I live God's word and preach it in unity. In the same way, you can see me drift right or left, but I can also see you drift right or left. Let us all pursue King Jesus. Not worrying about what the world says and not worrying about what the hyper-religious say, only pursuing King Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. To him be the glory alone. In this life and in the life to come. Let me pray for you. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.